Acts 16, beginning at verse 22. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought the light, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you for making a way. Now open our hearts as we hear and receive your word that we may hear what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. And I pray also for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. I ask you to draw them back. Don't let one of them be lost. I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody who understands what I mean when I talk about having one of those days. I think I'm in the right crowd. (laughs) One of those days is when it seems everything that can go wrong goes wrong. One of those days is when one bad thing piles on top of another until the whole enterprise collapses. One of those days is when you just want to run away and hide from everything and everybody. I suspect we've all had one of those days. If you haven't had one yet, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you're overdue for one. Those of you who were part of the service last Sunday will remember we spent some time in chapter 13 of the book of Acts. In that chapter, Barnabas and Paul begin their first missionary journey. Chapter 14 talks about some of the events on this journey and tells how they see God perform miracle signs and wonders to confirm the gospel message they are preaching. These miracles have a twofold effect. On the one hand, they attract people to believe in Jesus. On the other hand, they create controversy and get the missionaries in a great deal of trouble from those who were opposed to the message of the gospel. 
Then in the next chapter, chapter 15, a theological question arises about whether Gentiles who become Christians should also have to follow the law of Moses in order to be saved. Council is called to meet at Jerusalem, and when the question is considered and the testimony is all given and heard, the decision that seems good to all the people and to the Holy Spirit is that adherence to the rituals of the law is not necessary for salvation. At the end of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas are planning another missionary trip to encourage the churches they previously started. However, a dissension arises when Barnabas wants to take John Mark along as a traveling companion. But Paul wants absolutely nothing to do with the young man because he deserted them on their previous journey. The disagreement becomes so heated that Paul and Barnabas wind up splitting up and going separate ways. Barnabas takes John Mark with him, while Paul takes another man, Silas, as his traveling companion. That brings us now to chapter 16. As chapter 16 of the book of Acts opens, Paul and Silas are embarking on a missionary journey, wanting to go into new territory, but they can't seem to get clear direction from the Lord about where to go. They have some ideas of where they want to go, but each time they make a plan, the Holy Spirit puts up a do not enter sign. It seems to be a rather frustrating time for these missionaries. First one idea and then another is blocked by the Holy Spirit. They seem to be aimlessly wandering along until finally they come to a place called Troas. That night, Paul has a vision of a man making an appeal for him to come over to Macedonia and give them some help. That vision becomes the guidance for which they were looking, and they immediately make plans to head in that direction. Their first stop in that region is the city of Philippi. After wandering around the city for a few days, they learn about a prayer meeting being held on the banks of the river just outside the gates of the city. They decided to attend and found a group of women who had assembled to worship. In that group was a businesswoman named Lydia, who was a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. She responded to the message, became a believer in Jesus, was baptized, and opened her home as a place for the missionaries to stay while in Philippi. A few days later, Paul and Silas were on their way to the place of prayer when they encountered a slave girl with a demonic spirit of divination. Her masters made quite a healthy profit off her fortune-telling, which was made possible by the demonic presence in her life. This girl started following Paul and Silas, crying out, "'These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation.'" Day after day, she dogged their every step, yelling the same message over and over again. Now, what she was saying was exactly right, but the spirit behind her proclamation was exactly wrong. Because the spirit within her was not of God, and everyone knew it, it negated any of her good words. Not only that, but her persistent shouting was annoying and distracting. <laughs> After a while, she started getting on Paul's last nerve. Finally, he turned to her and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Immediately, the demon departed and the girl was instantly delivered. Now, that was wonderful for the girl, but it created a dilemma for Paul because suddenly the owners of this slave girl could no longer gain any profit from her. Her fortune-telling abilities vanished with the departure of the demon spirit. 
The owners of the slave girl cooked up some false accusations about Paul and Silas, throwing the city into confusion and proclaiming customs contrary to Roman law. Things quickly went downhill for Paul and Silas. The people incited a riot, grabbed the two preachers, dragged them in front of the city magistrates with their phony charges. Without any trial, without any hearing, the magistrates had them arrested, stripped, beaten with rods, thrown into maximum security in the inner prison, and fastened their feet in stocks. I think it's safe to say that Paul and Silas are having one of those days. What started as a day of celebration over the deliverance of a servant girl turned into a day of incarceration for Paul and Silas. When next we hear of Paul and Silas, it's midnight. This is where I want you to see the pain they endured. Paul and Silas are in Philippi as a result of a direct vision from the Lord. They are doing exactly what the Holy Spirit has called them to do. They are doing it exactly where the Lord has instructed them to do it. They have had marvelous success in seeing people come to faith in Jesus and in seeing the powers of darkness driven away. But here they are. Everything has backfired. And they are having one of those days. They are arrested, stripped of their clothes, beaten. They are put in the dungeon, which is the inner prison. This is the darkest, filthiest part of the prison. It's rat and roach infested. The dirt floor is soaked with human excrement. They've been placed in stocks, which means their legs are stretched beyond what is normal and comfortable and then fastened so they can't move and the muscles cramp, creating excruciating pain. No outside light penetrates into this inner chamber, but even if it did, it's midnight. Now, I know some of you thought if you could just get in the center of God's will for your life, then the birds would forever be singing sweetly in the trees, the sky would be a permanent dazzling blue, the breezes would always be blowing favorably, and your every desire would be instantly fulfilled, and you would never have to struggle again. Well, what you need is a healthy dose of reality. You may not know this, but being in the middle of God's perfect will doesn't exempt you from trouble. Maybe you haven't been subjected to the kind of prison conditions these missionaries endured, but I'm preaching to some people who understand something about being in midnight. Midnight is the darkest of times. Midnight is the lonely place. Midnight is when you can't see what's beside you or behind you or in front of you or above you. It's just an empty void. Midnight is the place where you feel stuck. Midnight is the place where you feel trapped. Midnight is the place where things are scary. Midnight is when the kids are going astray and you feel helpless to stop them. Midnight is when your health is deteriorating and the prognosis is terminal. Midnight is when you feel lost and without direction. Midnight is when the job is terminated and the bills are mounting and the kids are hungry and the car is broken and the rent is past due, and the power is turned off, and there's no assistance in sight. At midnight, pain is magnified. At midnight, loss is accentuated. 
At midnight, help seems like it will never arrive. At midnight, morning feels like it will never dawn. Am I preaching to anybody who understands what it's like at midnight? Paul and Silas could have been forgiven if they had given in to the despair of midnight. I mean, we would understand if they had joined their groans with those of the other prisoners. We wouldn't fault them if they had cried out in misery or even cursed in anger. Nobody would have blamed them if they had cashed it in right there and vowed never again to go on another missionary journey. Their recorded response to midnight is actually the last thing we would expect. In the midst of the pain they endured, the Bible then tells about the praise they expressed. Verse 25 says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. The Bible doesn't tell us the title of the songs they were singing, but I'm persuaded to believe they weren't singing the blues. I'm persuaded to believe their songs weren't sung in the minor key. I got to thinking about that, and I just wondered if maybe they sang the song of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hind's feet and makes me walk on my high places. I I wonder if they didn't mentally turn the pages of their psalm book and sing the first three verses of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp around about me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Or, or maybe they sang Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our our stronghold. I, I, I like to think that they got over into singing some of the hallelujah psalms in their praise service. Maybe they sang Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth, and that very day his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, 
oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. They may, they may have reprised that phrase a few more times. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Somehow in the midst of their pain and suffering, in the midnight hour, they managed to reach down and touch their assurance point. Things might be bad, but they remembered God is still good. Things may not be going their way, but God had not abandoned them. They, they may be having one of those days, but God has not changed, and he's still worthy of praise. Listen, listen, listen. Your spiritual adversary may be able to create pain in your life, but he can't stop your praise. He may be able to put you in a dark place, but he can't silence your song. Your worship isn't dependent upon your circumstance. Your worship is a decision of your will in response to the worthiness of your God. There are a couple of things I want you to know about your worship. First, worship is your witness. I don't know if you paid attention to the last part of verse 25 when we read it earlier at the beginning of the message. It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. You may be at midnight right now, but you need to realize there's somebody who's bound, somebody who needs God's redeeming love and grace, somebody close to you who needs a word of hope and help, and that somebody is listening to see how you're going to respond to your midnight. You may not be aware of it, but there's some other prisoner listening to see what you're going to do when you're in the midnight hour. How are you going to handle it? How are you going to respond? How are you going to react? Are you going to bail out of ministry? Are you going to stop coming to church? Are you going to stop reading your Bible and praying? Are you going to isolate yourself away from other believers? Are you going to stop using your gifts? Are you going to stop singing your song and shouting your praise and offering your worship? Somebody's listening. Your spouse is listening. Your son and your daughter are listening. Your coworkers are listening. Your neighbors are listening. They already know how bad it is. They need to hear about the goodness of God. They already know about the chains of addiction. They need to hear that Jesus sets the captives free. They already know about loneliness. They need to hear that Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. They already know about limitations. They need to hear that Jesus is able to do exceeding abundantly above all they can ask or think. They already know about the wages of sin. They need to hear about the gift of eternal life through Jesus. I'm telling you, the prisoners are listening and worship is your witness. I'll tell you something else about your worship. Worship is your warfare. Yes. Worship is the key to your cell. Amen. I don't know exactly how it happened. But in my sanctified imagination, I like to think that while the sound of that last acapella hallelujah was still ringing through the corridors of that prison, another sound some percussion accompaniment was added to it. The Bible says in verse 26, suddenly there came a great earthquake. Now, 
I'm told that an earthquake is caused when the tectonic plates on the outer surface of the earth get stuck and then suddenly break free and shift. I'm telling you, your worship will cause things to start to shift. The enemy has set up barriers and blockades. Your worship will cause things that have been stuck to break free. Worship will cause things that were headed in one direction to shift courses and change direction. <laughs> in addition to shifting, verse 26 also says the foundations of the prison house were shaken. Some problems have deep roots that aren't easily discerned. Maybe your issue stems from abandonment. Maybe it comes as a result of abuse. Maybe what's going on in your life is something that's part of your ancestral line for as long as you can trace it. Here's what I know. <clears throat> your worship will go to the core of the problem and shake the very foundation. Worship will cause a shifting, and worship will cause a shaking to break things loose in your life. Somebody ought to just high-five your neighbor and say, boy, that's good stuff right there. Amen. This story tells about the pain they endured. It tells about the praise they expressed. I can't leave the message until I also tell you about the power they experienced. If you're in midnight, if you're bound, if you're locked up, if you can't see any way out, your worship will cause a shifting, your worship will create a shaking that will break the bondage and open the door to what has held you captive. Your worship will tear down strongholds. Your worship will be the means of your deliverance. I told you that your worship is the key to your cell. I want you to also see that your worship is the key to their cell. Don't miss this. It wasn't just the chains of Paul and Silas that fell off. It was the chains of all the prisoners who were listening to them as well. It wasn't just the cell door of Paul and Silas that was opened. It was the cell doors of all the prisoners. Your worship isn't just a power dynamic for you. It's a power dynamic for those around you who are listening. And is isn't too surprising that Paul and Silas didn't run away when their chains were loosed and their cell door was opened. But when you think about it, it is pretty amazing that not one prisoner tried to escape. You know, there's something attractive about worship. There's something about genuine worship that makes people want to stick around. Seems like prisoners would rather hang around happy preachers than go free. You know, that, that's one of the reasons... You know, every now and then, it doesn't happen often, but every now and then I'll have somebody want to ask, Pastor, why, why, do you, why do we sing so much? And why do we have all of this going on before, you know? Well, it, this is why. Because it's breaking things up. 
It's shifting things around. Some of that happens in the song of the Lord that it's not going to happen just sitting and listening to me preach. Now, I like to preach. I like to preach as much as the next guy. I'll preach at the drop of a hat. If y'all don't pay attention, I'll drop the hat. <laughs> just for the opportunity. I'm telling you, you know. But I also know that it's, t- I've had to do it sometimes where you just stand up and everything is, 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 is dry as cracker juice. And you try to get up and start preaching to people, you know, they just tune you out immediately. But there's something about when we come together and, and we unite our hearts and everybody starts worshiping me and the song of the Lord begins to rise. And you can't see it from where you are because you're just in, in your little spot. But from the vantage point up here, when you're leading, Pastor Larry, you can see it. You're leading worship up here, and, and you look out over the congregation, and you can tell when suddenly somebody engages. You can see it on your face. You can see it in your body language. You can see it in, 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 in your eyes when things just suddenly light up, and suddenly you've made a God connection, and God is connected with you, and we know, okay, now that person's on board. Now that person, what's happened? There's been a shifting, and there's been a shaking that's taken place, and something has moved in your life because God has touched you. And then our hearts are open to hear and receive the word of the Lord. There's something attractive about worship. If you're bound up, if you're locked down, the key to your freedom is your worship. So in the midnight hour, lift your voice and worship. Pastor, you don't know how tough it is. Well, you don't know how tough it was for Paul and Silas, but they did it anyway. You know, too many times I have people say, well, you know, I just don't feel it, and so I don't want to be a hypocrite. Well, bless your heart. That's a great Southern expression. If anybody needs to know what that means, I'll explain it to you after the service. Bless your little heart. Y'all not praying hard enough for me. I'm getting off on all of this stuff. It's not being hypocritical to praise when you don't feel praise. It's called faith. I said it's called faith. It's faith in the immutable promises of God. It's faith in the immutable character of God. It's faith that God is a man of his word who will not change. He will always do exactly what he said he would do. He is not like every other man. He is not a God who can lie. Every word with him is yes and amen. And when he promises, praise is saying, God, I am believing you regardless of what I see, regardless of what I feel, regardless of what I hear. I will believe the word of the Lord. And I'm going to act on that word. I'm going to praise. In the midnight hour, I'm going to praise. In the midst of pain, lift up your voice and worship. In the presence of darkness, what are you going to do? Lift your voice and worship. How, do, how long do I do that, pastor? How long do I worship? Well, I'm going to tell you. 
You worship until. Worship until you feel the chains break. Worship until you hear the prison door open. Worship until the light breaks through to push back the darkness. Worship until the jailer is convicted. Worship until the pain is gone. Worship until your child comes to his senses. Worship until your husband surrenders his life to Jesus. Worship until the victory comes. And when the victory is won, don't stop worshiping. Refuse to allow the circumstances of your life to dictate your worship. Come help me quit, Pastor Larry. My time is up. Let me finish by telling you this. We didn't read the end of the story. You remember the reason Paul and Silas were imprisoned in the first place was because of false charges. The next day, it was brought to the attention of the magistrates. They had wrongfully arrested, beaten, and imprisoned men who were Roman citizens without even the benefit of a trial, which was, I don't know if you know that, that's a big no-no in that day. These guys knew they were in deep trouble, so they sent word to the prison for Paul and Silas to be released. They just wanted him to quietly leave town. And when the orders arrived at the prison, Paul would have none of it. You made a public spectacle of us, now we expect a public apology. So I'm here to remind you, you don't ever need to be intimidated by the powers of darkness that come against you. When you are right before God, he will clear your name. God will see to it that the same ones who publicly accuse you will publicly declare your innocence. When you trust the Lord and worship him even in the midnight hour, he has a way of seeing the unjust humiliated and the just exonerated. The proud are abased, the humble are exalted. So you just keep trusting, you just keep worshiping, you just keep singing your song, even in the midnight hour. Your worship is the catalyst that releases the power of God to work at your point of need. Your worship will transform your midnight into a miracle. You know, sometimes when it's midnight in my life, I find myself singing an old hymn of the church. Be not dismayed, whatever betide, God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you, God will take care of you.
believe that? He'll take care of you. I've got another one for you. Take me to, uh, take me to F, Pastor Larry. Hold on, my child. Joy comes in the morning. Weeping only lasts for the night. Hold on, my child. Joy comes in the morning. The darkest night means dawn is just inside. Hold on. Keep praising. Keep worshiping. Joy's coming. I'm not doing this very well today. I don't. Jesus, help me. Help me, Jesus. Are you getting this? If you're not, get, if, if you're not getting this, I got to re-preach the whole thing again, and we'll be here till noon. Stand, stand. So what are you going to do? Just keep praising. Just keep singing. I don't feel like it. I didn't ask how you felt. I asked, do you believe the word of the Lord? You believe the promise of God. You hold on to him. It's too soon to give up. Father, restore the song to the lives of your people who have been beat down, who have become despondent and discouraged. Renew their strength when they're weak. There's some, Lord, that want to, that just want to Abandon hope. Grab hold of them one more time, Holy Spirit, and don't let them out of your grasp. But remind them that you're still God and you're faithful to your promise. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Pastor Larry, you sang this earlier in the worship set. I want us to go back and sing it again before we get out of here. Because it's, it really is where we are and what needs to happen. There's dark stuff going on around us. Can I get a witness from anybody that knows that's true? Right? I don't care how dark it gets. You can still hang, hang on to the promise of God and you can still praise. If Paul and Silas can praise him when they've had one of those days, you can praise him when you're having one of those days. So come on and praise him. Praise him. Praise him in the morning. Praise him in the new time. 